Welcome to the Pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hello, friends. Today we have Dr. Paul Cook, Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at East Carolina University's Brody School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Cook. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you can be with us today to um, kind of shed some light on the coronavirus. Um, can you just start by maybe telling folks exactly what the coronavirus is? Okay, so uh, coronaviruses, so it's a family of viruses. Uh, there are a number of them. Most of them uh, cause things uh, that we associate with common colds. In fact, uh, some of the respiratory screening tests that we routinely do on uh, patients in the hospital screen for three of the common cold coronaviruses uh, that circulate in the population uh, nowadays. So the um, coronavirus that we're dealing with now, the SARS-CoV-2, is a, a different type because it causes, number one, a much more severe illness, and, and uh, the illness can... Um, cause a pneumonia and uh, adult respiratory distress syndrome, which can be uh, very severe and, and can be fatal. So uh, there are uh, two other coronaviruses that have uh, surfaced in the last two decades. The first one, uh, the SARS virus or SARS-CoV, which was um, um, also originated in China, uh, spread to various parts, including parts of uh, Toronto, Canada, which had a number of cases at, at that time, and then it just eventually died out. Um, the other uh, uh, coronavirus that made a lot of uh, press was the MERS virus, or Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus, which uh, um, uh, happened in the Middle East, as its name suggests, and uh, it came from bats, as a lot of these do, including the current one, it's thought and went to an intermediary camel in the case of MERS and then from camels to, to people. And it has a very high mortality rate, which is in contrast to the current uh, coronavirus, which has a significant um, mortality rate, but not near as high as uh, either SARS or um, MERS. So this uh, particular coronavirus um, clearly originated in China, probably in the Wuhan uh, area, um, and probably related to these um, open markets uh, where uh, some exotic uh, animals are, um, live animals are kept. Uh, there are bats there, but there's also this pangolin, or P-A-N-G-O-L-A-I-N, which is a, sort of an anteater-like of animal, but uh, it's felt that that might be the intermediary that... Uh, um, so the viruses in bats got to this pangolin and then from the pangolin to human beings. The, the problem now is not pangolins, which we don't have a lot around here. It's just that this virus seems to be very easily spread from human beings to other human beings. And that's uh, the problem that China has been experiencing for the last two months, or actually three months now, and what this country is now experiencing for the last uh, two or three weeks. 
Right. It was, uh, yeah, I, I know it's really growing here too. Although children don't seem to be so affected by it. That is correct. Um, children probably get infected, but don't appear to get very ill from it. And that's true with a lot of viral infections. Um, so this is not too surprising, but the people where this is much more of a problem are older people, people that smoke or people that have underlying lung disease or other underlying uh, medical conditions. But children um, could be infected, but probably don't get very sick from this. Well, that's certainly good news. You know, the um, I wanted to kind of touch base on things folks should watch for as far as how would they know if they have the serious illness or it's just the flu? And then also, what would be the right or wrong time to go to a doctor or hospital? Well, so the, the symptoms are very nonspecific and, and, and actually frequently mimic the flu. So uh, the, the most common symptoms of people who develop symptoms are cough and fever, um, sometimes diarrhea, but that's not nearly as common. Um, and then if things progress, persons would get uh, shorter breath. But I would like to point out that most people who are infected with this either have very mild illness or actually no illness at all, which is uh, good and bad. It's good because um, not too many people are going to die from this, but it's bad but because those people can actually spread it to other folks. And it's uh, one thing to isolate somebody who you know is sick. It's another thing. Uh, when somebody doesn't have any symptoms and uh, you don't know that they're infected. Yes, that does pose a problem. Um, and, and to further that, I understand that they're just now coming out with some testing. So again, when you're going to the doctor, is it the flu or coronavirus, um, now they would be able to test in some areas or at least beginning to? Yes, but uh, I will say that the testing is not um, – uh, it, it's been a problem for a while. I think that uh, we are seeing more testing. Uh, right now, these tests are pretty much being done uh, – sent to the um, state lab, but I think in the coming weeks we'll be seeing sites uh, have um, commercial testing kits so that they would be able to be done on site. But uh, – what is recommended uh, since we're in really still in a flu season is that uh, persons be who have these symptoms would then be tested for things like the flu and other viral infections. If they test positive for the flu or another common viral infection that would explain the symptoms, then you're you're done, and we don't need to do testing for um, this new coronavirus. But uh, if uh, someone tested negative for those uh, common viral infections, uh, particularly if there was a history of recent travel to an area where um, the infection is common or, or contact with someone who had traveled to that area or who was known to be positive, then, then that would, um, of course, um, uh, mean that that person should be tested for the new coronavirus. Well, you touched on travel, so can you give us a couple tips if people are traveling? I mean, certainly don't go to any places that have been, uh, you've been warned against traveling. What are those areas? So China, of course, is uh, number one on the list. Um, Iran, uh, Italy, 
South Korea. South Korea has had a lot of cases. Uh, Japan has just been, I think, listed as a as a new pick. Uh, place to not travel. I think there was previously warnings that you might reconsider, but I think uh, with their recent increase in the number of infections, it's actually been on the list, it's now on the list of places where it's not recommended at all. So um, I probably missed a couple of them, uh, but those, I, if you check the uh, CDC website, those would be the main ones. Um, of course, we haven't seen that many cases in this country so far, there's a lot of cases in, in, uh, that are coming up in Washington, particularly in the Seattle area. So uh, travel to that area, particularly if there was contact with these uh, this nursing facility where these cases were, uh, that would be um, uh, an indicator that the person should be tested uh, for this particular virus. And I know that's the understanding of how we now have our case here in North Carolina is someone did go to that nursing facility and was exposed and unfortunately came back to North Carolina. And now we have our first case, at least at this moment. Again, this is so fluid. <laughs> Within minutes, someone else could have developed the the illness here in North Carolina, but it's it's just so strange, doctor, and I just, I know that a lot of people are like, you know, it, is this something we can tackle because, okay, we're putting people in quarantine for 14 days, but here you have a visitor to a facility that has this virus in it, and they're not quarantined when they leave. They just go willy-nilly about their day, and here we go again. Now we have a case in North Carolina. Is Right. Well, of course, the, the situation in, in Seattle evolved pretty rapidly. I mean, I think that uh, uh, a week ago, I'm not sure that we knew about this, uh, but six days ago, there was a case, then there was another case, and, and pretty soon we've got, uh, I think, uh, nine or ten deaths um, in in the Seattle area, um, and uh, more cases, of course, but uh, uh, these people then... Uh, have persons that they've exposed, uh, family members, friends. Um, but, you know, a week ago, they probably didn't know they were exposing people. So, I mean, these, this is how um, epidemics start. Um, I don't think people, um, you know, knowingly are going to expose somebody. But um, if you don't have any symptoms, it's not so easy to not expose somebody, right? Exactly. That's that's a tricky part. That's why, you know, a lot of people are wondering, is this something that's just we can't, you know, get a handle on it? Because you can have it and not know, you know, you just see one person and then you're infected. Um, you know, how do we stop without quarantine everybody and their, the whole wide world in their house for 14 days? I mean, how right. do we clear this path? Well, I think the... Um short answer is this is going to be difficult. Um, the, there, there are some mathematical projections based on the transmissibility of the virus and also the fact that, that most of the patients, most of the people are asymptomatic or subclinical or very mild infections, 80% or so, that um, there's some mathematical predictions that probably in the next two or three years, maybe as many as 40 to 60% of the population would have been exposed to this virus. Now, that doesn't mean that 40% of 
the population is going to die. In fact, far from that. Uh, um, 80% of those, 40% are going to have very mild uh, and perhaps no symptoms at all and will recover without any problems at all. It's the persons with underlying um, health problems or elderly people that are going to that are going to be a problem and that's why there's work to get um, um, to have a vaccine and also the um, some clinical trials with some drugs that are either in development or that are already developed for other infections that are being used uh, to treat people um, to see if they have any efficacy in reducing the risk of uh, of death. So let's talk a little bit about those types of things, um, kind of a, you know, what's real and what's not out there. Just a few quick things people are wondering about. For example, masks. Um, I know everybody rushed out to get them when this all started, and people, there's a lot of, like, price gouging out there. I saw one mask was, like, $5,000. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And I know now, given the, the seriousness of the whole situation, most manufacturers are just con concentrating on providing the mask to healthcare professionals. But, you know, what is there? Because at the same time we get, you know, should we run out and buy a mask or it doesn't really help or it doesn't help that much because so much is airborne with this disease? What are your thoughts? Well, so my thoughts are similar to what the Centers for Disease Control says. Is, uh, this is a waste of money. Okay, so uh, don't run out and buy a mask if you already ran out and bought your mask and and maybe you should return it. I don't know. Maybe they'll give you your money back as long as you didn't use it. But it is not helpful. In fact, it perhaps may be counterproductive because what we clearly know is that this is spread by um, uh, respiratory route or droplets, I should say, and uh, it gets on people's hands. People's hands touch their face, their nose, their eyes, and then they can uh, infect themselves from their own hands. If you have a mask on, uh, you're constantly touching your mask and touching your face to adjust the mask, and so it may actually increase the risk of infection. We don't know that for sure, but what we clearly know is that masks for the general public is a bad idea. Um, if somebody comes to our clinic or to the hospital and they have symptoms, whether it be whether we think it's coronavirus or the flu or even a cold, we tell that person, please put on this mask. But we're telling that person so that they don't spread their cough, germs, whatever they are, to other people. We may put on a mask ourselves if we are suspicious that they have um, a potentially infectious disease. But um, that's in the clinic setting. That's not in the... Um, in the malls or outside in the open air, that's that's a waste of time. Okay, that's great information. Another query out there, because there was so much focus on the mask, at one point they were saying this is not spread by touching a doorknob. Uh, true or false? Probably false. Um, um, in other words, uh, there is that potential. Now, is that um, as common as sneezing or coughing? No way. There's just no way. But what we can say is that there have been some studies uh, looking at um, persistence of a variety of coronavirus, including the SARS and the MERS virus. And, and on these, uh, say, steel doorknobs, they can persist, the virus can persist in some 
fashion for as much as maybe seven or eight, nine days. So it is possible. But, I mean, if if you touch a lot of doorknobs, um, wash your hands. If you wash your hands, you get rid of this stuff. So what we say is wash your hands and then wash your hands and then wash your hands, okay? So <laughs> it's, it's wash your hands uh, because the more you wash your hands, the less you're going to have on your uh, fingers and uh, people touch their face all the time. If you wash your hands once a day, you got a problem. If you wash your hands, as I do, as I see a lot of patients, uh, 20 times a day, probably not so much of a deal. Now, I'm not saying you should wash your hands 20 times a day, but I do think it's a good idea to wash your hands a lot, particularly if you're in the public uh, setting. Good information. Now, here's one more for you, and then I want to talk about how we can protect ourselves. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about, as with the regular flu, when winter subsides, usually the flu subsides. I mean, people still get it, of course, but it lessens. Can we expect that, do you think, with uh, with this? Uh, the short answer is uh, we don't know. Um, we are hopeful that that is the case, but we absolutely don't know. And I think anybody who made that prediction or say that that's going to happen I would put that in the wishful uh, thinking category. I mean, it may be right, but it might be wrong. Um, I mean, remember, we didn't hear about this until about January or maybe December 31st or January 1st, January 2nd. It's now March 4th. We haven't gone through a summer or a year with this yet, so I think it's a little premature to say it's going to go away when the weather warms up. So... Let's first talk about protecting ourselves, and then if we get it, what our treatment might be. But how can folks protect themselves besides wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands? Yeah, okay. Besides that, then wash your hands. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, sneezing, uh, you're supposed to use proper sneezing etiquette. When I was a kid, I was told to sneeze in a handkerchief or sneeze in your hand. You shouldn't do that, okay? Uh the handkerchief just gets germs all over it, and you put it back in your pocket, and you pick it up, and you got it on your hands, okay? Um, if you're going to use a uh, something, a Kleenex, then sort of sneeze in your Kleenex, then throw it away, flush it down the toilet, whatever, and then wash your hands. If you are not near a place where you can wash your hands or don't have Purell or one of those alcohol sanitizers, uh, you sneeze in the crook of your elbow. I'm sure you've seen those um, demonstrations. It's um, much more hygienic. Um, you should wash your shirt afterwards, but you don't have to wash your shirt right away, okay? Um, if you don't have a shirt on, just wash your elbow um, afterwards. But that's uh, what you should do with a cough or a sneeze. Um, but, but after you sneeze, wash your hands after you sneeze, okay? And then um, uh, if you're in a public setting, as I say, and you're touching doorknobs, you're touching uh, handrails, um, that have been touched by perhaps thousands of other people that day, sure, you want to wash your hands. Because if we know that this virus can persist on these uh, objects, uh, it only makes sense to, to take precautions. So it seems like the old tried and true, like any cold, any flu, just really basic general good hygiene besides washing, you know, avoiding people who are ill and 
as you said earlier, don't touch your eyes and your nose and your mouth, etc. Correct. So if you so, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I think that this is not new information. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is perhaps a silver lining in this whole business is uh, this has come pretty much at the time when we have our our flu epidemic, uh, our, our our highest incidence of, uh, of flu. So anything you can do to reduce the risk of flu will be good to reduce the risk of getting this virus. So my question about treatment seems to follow that same lines that pretty much the flu treatment is the treatment for uh for this. Well, so the the drug that we commonly use for influenza the Tamiflu or Oseltamivir is the generic uh, is not going to ha- have any activity against this drug but the other treatment uh, of course is just supportive treatment as we say uh, Tylenol, ibuprofen, aspirin or whatever for the fever and the muscle aches, et cetera, and bed rests and fluids. And, and, and I think that's going to follow for most cases of of this uh, infection as well, particularly since, as I said, most of these cases are pretty mild um, infections. So the persons that progress, uh, that develop shortness of breath, uh, high fever, and um, um, are not getting better with that, then those would probably need to be seen by um, um doctor perhaps admitted to the hospital, and then uh, if they get very sick, um, may be treated with um, intubation and and ventilator support as they um, progress, and then they would probably then be treated with some of these um, investigational drugs or drugs that are being used in an investigational fashion for the uh, uh, treatment of this infection. Do you know of anything, one of the, one of our components of our show at the end is always to um, talk about ways to help people, whether it's a spotlight on a not-for-profit or whatever. Are there any kinds of ways people can help or volunteer in this matter yet, or we are just not that far? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I've, I've not heard of any uh, volunteer organizations. I think that... Uh, what we're trying to promote to the public is that um, this is a disease we're likely to see, but, and we should get prepared, but there's no reason for panic. Anything that I have not covered that you think we should have? Um well, what I will say, having practiced for a little over 30 years now, is that um, over that period of time, I've seen a large cut in budgets, both at the federal level and at the state level, for public health. For example, I am um, do tuberculosis work for the health department here in Pitt County. The public health department's are operating on shoestring budgets. And uh, that is not the type of situation you want to have when you have a potential pandemic as we are seeing right now. And I think that people have to understand that we have to get our state legislators and our uh, congressmen to appropriate more funds for public health because uh, if this one doesn't 
cause a major problem and it already has caused serious economic problems, we're going to get another one in a few years that's going to cause at least another major problem. So uh, what I'm saying is we need to do more to support public health because uh, this problem, and by that I mean um, a viral pandemic infection, we're going to see again. Well, that's certainly a good point. And it's not like they say if, but when. So exactly. I appreciate all your time today. It's been great having you. I think you've shined a lot of light on many of the different aspects of this illness. And um, again, we're with Dr. Paul Cook, Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at East Carolina University's Brody School of Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Cook. All right. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. This is a very fluid situation, so if you want updates on COVID-19, visit the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services website at ncdhhs.gov forward slash coronavirus. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. This is Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Catch us on Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, all the major podcast platforms, or visit us at our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com. That's B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T. Today, dot, 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 be kind.